Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that you love us, Lord. You have a plan and a purpose for every single person. As we come today and we look at your word, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts today. You'd encourage us, Lord Jesus. You would challenge us, Lord. You would draw us closer to yourself, I pray. Let your word go deep into our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, Amen. Welcome to City Church this morning. You can take a seat. Isn't it great to be in church and just to worship Jesus? To gather together to give Him all the praise, the worship, the honour and the glory. Welcome to those that are joining us online this morning as well and obviously to everybody that's in the room. We are starting a three-week series on a Sunday uh, talking about worship. It's a series about worship and talking about the different elements of worship over those three weeks. And today we're going to start with speaking about a lifestyle of worship. And I thank God for our Sunday services and the times that we get together to have corporate worship, the times that we sing, the times that we use our instruments to be able to worship Jesus. I thank God for our worship when it comes to serving God on a Sunday and the different people that host us and help, um, help us be able to come together and, and serve us on a Sunday as well. I thank God for the Word. I thank God for the moments that we have throughout the service where we come and we worship with our giving and different ways that we serve God and we worship Jesus. But we've got to understand this. Worshiping Jesus is not just Sunday for one hour. Worshiping Jesus is a lifestyle. And we worship Jesus in a whole bunch of different expressions. We can sing to worship Jesus. We can open our, our, the Word of God and we can read it and put it at the highest authority in our life. That's worshiping Jesus. We can love our spouse, love our friends. That's worshiping Jesus as we serve one another, as we show kindness, as we do what God has called us to do. As we're obedient to Him, that's worshiping Jesus. As we use the resources that we've been given to be a blessing to other people, that is worship. As we use our words as a weapon of kindness and love, and we use our actions as something that serves other people, that is worship. As we share our faith and we tell other people about the good news of Jesus, that is worship. It's a fragrance on our life. It's a fragrance. It's the smell of worship that comes out of our life as we pour out our lives as a living sacrifice. It says in Romans 12 verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. In fact, you were actually created for one thing. You were created to worship God. You were created to give God all of the glory. 
That is why when we are elevated and people start to worship us, you see oftentimes people crumble and they fall apart because we're actually not made to be worshipped. We're not made to have all the attention of us. We're actually made to give all the attention and all the worship to Jesus. That is our focus. That's what we are called to do. And when we make it about us, you often see people fall apart because it's actually not about us. We are only signposts to Jesus. We are called to give Him all the worship and the glory and the honor and the praise with our lives. And every expression of our life is called to do that. I love in this passage, when you look at it in the uh, message translation, it says it this way. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and he develops well-formed maturity in you. As we put him first, as we make a decision to have a lifestyle of worship, that my life is going to give him praise, as I make sure that everything that I do is actually about elevating Jesus, then we can see God transforming us and doing a work deep on the inside of us as that's taking place. And so this series is so much more than talking about our singing on a Sunday, although that is so important and the power of God as we corporately worship. But it's so much more than that, living a lifestyle of worship. And I pray that in this series that God would get our attention, that He would get our focus, that we would understand that we don't want to just fit into the familiar surroundings that we live in in this cultural world. But we want to actually be able to see beyond that and understand what we were put on earth to do. And that is to worship Jesus. It's the central focus of your life. And as you do that, you start to do God's will and you start to live out of that place of purpose God has created you to have. And so I want to look this morning at three ways we pursue a lifestyle of worship to Jesus. And the first one's this. Number one, get a clear view of who God is. You know, it says in this passage in Romans 12, verse 1, which is our key text, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. In other words, understanding the totality of who God is, His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His love towards us, who God is, when I get a view of who He is, it just causes me to worship Jesus. When I understand what He's done for me, dying on that cross, taking away my sin and shame, He has set me free. When I understand that, all I can do is worship Jesus. But oftentimes this world creates a whole bunch of cloud cover for us actually to see through and to see who God is. We can get robbed by our 
jilted perspectives or the hurts that people have uh, given us and the, the, the bitterness or the pain or the grind of life, we can get caught up in so many different things that our, our, our faith and our worship can be dumbed down to just a mere part of our lives instead of the essence of our lives. We can be so familiar that our rhythms take control of our life rather than our heart to worship Jesus. And we have to oftentimes peel those layers back and remind ourselves again, hey, I'm called to worship Jesus. I need to get a clear view of God. Have you ever been driving along in the rain somewhere and the rain is pouring down so badly that you've got your windscreen wipers on but you can hardly see through? And uh, you need to keep turning those windscreen wipers up so that you can actually get a bit of a view to be able to see through. And it's dark and it's misty and it's rainy and you're driving along. What happens is you start to slow down because you're thinking, I'm not going to be able to see ahead and you have to turn those windscreen wipers up. Well, can I just say that this series, I hope it is an opportunity to put those windscreen wipers on where there's been blockages there, where where you've slowed down, where there's been things that have blocked your view. I hope that this series is going to open your eyes to say, no, I want to see clearly who God is. I want to worship Him for who He is. Having an understanding of who God is, is so powerful. N.T. Wright, he said this, he said, put it this way, if your idea of, of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-informed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty and the more you'll find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip and the other isn't just an emotion. The more we understand who God is, the more it causes us to fall to our knees and worship Him for He deserves all of the worship. The more we understand His love and His kindness and His grace and His compassion towards us, the more we understand the good that He has done for us. It causes us to worship Him. It's our only response. You know, in Scripture, they often say, whenever there is a therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? And it says here, therefore, I urge you, brother and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So why is it therefore? And it's therefore because we look back at the other passages in Romans, Romans chapter 1 to 11, which gives us a clear view of who God is. In fact, I want to have a look at a video on the screen that just quickly in a couple of minutes articulates what happens between Romans 1 and Romans 11, which gets us to this point in Romans 12. So why don't you have a look to the screens and have a, a quick overview of what happens in these passages In, in of Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing and he speaks about the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 2, he speaks about the Jews. In Romans chapter 3, he says this, that the Jews and the Gentiles, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are. Then in Romans 4 and 5, he says, because of our sin, we, we're separated. And it, it's only going to be by the grace and the mercy of God that we can have a right standing in him. Romans chapter 6, Paul asked a question that he knew people were thinking. He said, so if it's only grace and mercy, does that mean that I can continue in sin and just do what I want to do? I mean, after all, grace is going to cover that. And he says, no, you can't continue in sin so that grace may abound. He said, that's making a mockery of grace. 
And then in chapter 7, he says this. He says, but why is it that I end up doing the very things that I don't want to do and the things that I want to do, I don't do? Beginning in Romans 8, verse 1, he says this, and he exclaims, he says, but there is no condemnation. Even though I do that, even though I fall prey, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of his grace and mercy. Romans chapter 9, he jumps in and then he, he begins to write and he says, listen, because of our sin, we begin to realize that there's no human effort that we can surrender, or there's no human effort that, we, that can lead to our salvation. He says, it's only by the sovereign grace choice of God. But before you get away and th start thinking, well, wait a minute, if it's God's choice, then I don't have any responsibility. He comes in in chapter 10 and he says this, but I want you to hear this. We are responsible before God because if we do not believe, then we are eternally separated. He says, it's so important that you begin to understand this is that there are people all across the world who do not know Jesus Christ and it is your responsibility, church. It's our responsibility. How will they hear how will they hear if no one goes to preach? He says, how, will they, how can they go if no one sins? He says, listen, you have a great responsibility. Yes, it is God that saves, but we have a responsibility to believe, to go, and to sin. And then he jumps into chapter 11 and he says, listen, it's gonna look like God has hardened the hearts of the, of the Israelites, of the Jewish people, so that the full measure of Gentiles can come in. But I want you to hear this. Because of his great faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, he's not forgotten his promises and he's going to pour his spirit out on the, on the Jewish people. Their eyes are gonna be opened. And here's Paul who at the beginning of Romans said, I would give up everything if my fellow Jews would come to know him. All of a sudden in 1130, he just exclaims this, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom, and the glory of God. He just begins to break out in worship. You see, what he's done here over chapter one through 11 is he's tried to give us a very clear picture of right theology because when we have right theology and right, it leads to right thinking and right thinking leads to right living. And that's why it's so important to have a clear view of God. When we see who God is, when we understand who he is, it changes us. That's why it's so important to spend time in the Word. That's why it's so important to pray. That's why it's so important to listen to the Holy Spirit, to find ourselves in environments like church or connect groups where we can get under the teaching of the Word, where we can get a greater understanding of, what, of who God is, where we can spend time with people that have revelation that help us to understand who Jesus is is when we can get a clear view of God it helps us to be able to worship Jesus and helps us to be who God has called us to be it says in 1 Chronicles 16 29 ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name bring an offering and come before him worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and I think sometimes one of the biggest blockages for us worshiping Jesus is sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness of this world and the distractions and the different things that take our attention and we need to go back to understanding who God is. Get a view of God again. Get an understanding of who He is and what He has done. Fall in love with Jesus again and worship will just come out of our lives as a natural result. See, we aren't disciples of City Church. 
We are disciples of Jesus. Therefore, we must know who Jesus is. We must know what Jesus stands for. We must know what Jesus' priorities are. And as we start to do that, we actually are transformed into his image. I think stress and worry, they can really block our view of God. Some of those things can really take away our attention. And I was reflecting as I was thinking about this message about some times in my life where I've allowed the blockages of stress or worry or concern about things to actually block my view of God. And I was thinking about the the two lockdowns that we've had over these last couple of years. And I think about the first one. And um, even though I had faith for everybody else, I reflect upon my own life and when I was thinking about how I behaved internally in the first lockdown that we had. And there was worry and stress and concern for the church, for our staff, for how things were going to pan out and how we were going to survive financially, how, how things were going to happen and all this kind of stuff and what's going to happen with the church. And I remember just feeling internally so stressed and concerned about what was going to happen. I'm sure many of us felt that. It was, wasn't even the effects of so much the disease, it was the consequences of all of those things that I was thinking about at that time. I remember feeling so stressed and worried. I didn't enjoy that lockdown at all. I was like a caged lion. I'm like, what are we going to do? We're going to do something. We're going to do. We're going to do. We're going to do. And I realized I can't change it. And then the second lockdown came around and I reflected upon the fact, hey, God got us through the first one. God did great things through the first one. God kept his church together. God kept people loving one another. The church continued to remain strong. God looked after our finances. God took care of the people. Everything was okay. And so the second lockdown... I relaxed and I actually quite enjoyed the second lockdown. Can you believe it? Someone like me that loves to be out and about. I actually quite enjoyed it because I relaxed internally and I started to trust God. And I think about the two different responses that I had, the same situation, but two different responses internally. And I wonder how many times in our life we face a situation and we respond with worry, fear, doubt, trepidation. Some of those things are just cloud our view of God, cloud our view of who God is, that take away um, strength from us, that take away our focus. Or whether we respond with saying, you know what, I know God is in control. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to trust him. He is my peace. He is my portion. I'm going to hold on to him in the midst of this. We can respond two different ways and the choice is ours. I love John Ortberg. He said this, I need worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with the blinders on. I need worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. And worship is the antidote to all of those things. As we take focus off self and we get rid of the selfie generation that we live in and the selfie mindset that we live in and put focus on Jesus, we start to plug into the purpose that God actually has for our life because it's not about us. It's actually all about Jesus. And when we get a clear view of who God is, it changes everything. The second thing this morning is this, give God a living sacrifice. 
If we want to live a lifestyle of worship, it says here in Scripture to give God a living sacrifice. It says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word bodies represents the totality of one's life and activities, of which his body is the vehicle of expression. In the Old Testament, we know that sacrifices were dead sacrifices. But here in the New Testament, we are told and we are taught that we're called to be a living sacrifice. So what happened in the Old Testament is an animal would be killed as a sacrifice for our sins. And so it wasn't still mooing if it was a cow. It was dead. And it was put on that altar and laid down as a sacrifice, as a substitute for our sin. And where Jesus came along and he died on that cross and he became the substitute for our sin once and for all. And so we know that because of Jesus on that cross, we are forgiven, that all sin is gone, all shame is gone once and for all, for all mankind. And so we receive that and we get a view of who God is. But then he calls us to be living sacrifices. That means that we do move at the altar. That means that we do raise our hands. That means that we do speak out words of life. It means that our actions start to, to, to get behind what we believe and we start to respond and our activities and our lifestyle starts to express the glory of God. We are a living sacrifice. You know what? I think sometimes people still live as a dead sacrifice at times. And in a way, we, we know we've got to heaven. We know Jesus has died for us, but it's almost as if we live under the waters of baptism. We haven't risen back up out of it. And we live under there. We're silent underneath that water. We're silent as that dead sacrifice. We are, got our ticket to heaven and we're just in the waiting zone until we get to the other side. And this earth is just something we're just going to just meander through. Well, God hasn't called us to do that. He hasn't called us to be dead in our service. He hasn't caused us to be dead in our words. He hasn't caused us to be dead in our worship towards Him. He's caused us, and He's called for us to be a living sacrifice. Move on that altar. Make some noise on that altar. Start to express your love for God. Serve one another. That's what God's called us to do. It's a lifestyle of worship. I'm alive in Christ. See, sacrifice is the manifestation of your priorities. The things that you sacrifice for are your priorities. And if you look at your life, there are things that you continually sacrifice for. And they will reveal the priorities that you have. You can't separate your priorities and your sacrifice. They are a marriage. See, a mother sacrifices for their child because they love that child. An athlete sacrifices their time and their diet and their exercise to perform because they have a desire to win. A business owner sacrifices time and resources because they want to succeed. A student sacrifices study and time because they want to achieve good results. And a Christian sacrifices their life for Jesus because he is their ultimate priority. See, God causes us to be a living sacrifice. Worship's not just that 20 minutes on a Sunday. Worship is a heart for God in everything. Billy Graham, he said it this way, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. It's saying, God, you have all of me. I will serve you with my life. And as I do that, I want to see you and see your glory outworked on the earth. 
See, it's funny, I meet a lot of people that aren't Christians and sometimes they are non-believers that are more Christian than Christians. They are more kind, they are more loving, they, are, they serve one another, they care for one another and, and they operate in a way and it's a challenge to us as believers to understand, hey, listen, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for the plans and purposes God has for me. I want to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. I want to make sure that my life is poured out for Him and to give Him glory. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, Scripture says. The fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And sometimes it is a sacrifice, but we make that decision to sacrifice to God. And the third thing this morning is this. To go on the path of transformation God guides you towards. It talks about in this scripture, you get a view of God's mercy. Then it says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Then it says this in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. This word transform, which we get the word metamorphosis, it's talking about a complete transformation in our lives. We call it the Christian word could be sanctification, where we are transformed into God's image. We become more like Christ as we spend time with God. In fact, as you worship God, Jack Hayford says this, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. And so as we worship Jesus, as we focus on Him, a transformation takes place as we spend time with Him. It's like when you're around somebody that you really look up to, a hero, a mentor, somebody that you really love, you start to copy their expressions. You copy the words that they use, the ways that you just spend time with them and you become more like them. And that's what happens with our relationship with God. As you spend time with God, you are transformed and become more like God, transformed into His image. Like a caterpillar going to become a butterfly, God is transforming you. He's working in your life. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, to transform us, to become more like Him. And every day we have the decision to allow ourselves to step onto the path that God has for us or to wander off onto our own will. Every moment of every day, we have that decision to make to continue to follow the purposes of God. When we are angry or frustrated about someone in our natural flesh, we want to lash out. But we have a decision in front of us. Am I transformed in this moment to sow peace into a moment where I want to sow a swear word? When someone's cut me off, I want to sow my middle finger. But instead, I'm going to sow a smile because I'm transformed. When something happens in our life or uh, our kids or our spouse, they do something towards us and we want to sow just a little bit of anger out, then maybe we're going to sow love and kindness and serve. When we see somebody that's ungrateful and it frustrates us, then maybe we want to sow service towards that person. When we see someone that's unkind towards us, we have an opportunity to sow this transformed life kindness towards that person. And we have a choice every day to be able to do these things. We often take our daughter Georgia with us to the car wash. And you know what it's like when you go to the car wash and she's only four years old. And you drive along, you jump into the little car wash section. 
and then the noise starts and she starts to panic. And then, and then the water starts you know, expressing onto, the, um, onto the, the windows and all the different parts of the car. And, this and she gets this look on her face like, what's going on? And then the soap comes over and you can't see anything and there's this loud noise and she's like... And she's in the car and she's freaking out and she's worried about what's going to happen. And then the, the dryer starts to go... And she's looking around in the car and she's freaking out. And, and to me, when I think about that, I'm like, that's the, like the process of transformation for the believer. Our face and our expression, it's like, no, I want to rage right now because of the way this person's treated me. But I know I need to respond differently. I come in dirty and angry and frustrated. I come in with all of my hang-ups, but on this process of transformation, God gets the car wash on me. He says, no, no, no. Let the fruit of the Spirit come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. And He cleans us. But you know it's not one and done because you get on the conveyor belt of the next car wash and the next moment that frustrates you and, and God transforms you again and he takes the dirty stuff and the anger and the frustration and internally we feel like little Georgia. Our face is like, what's going on? <laughs> In how we respond, but that's the process of spiritual transformation where we just submit to God and say, God, transform me. I love what it says in Galatians 5. 16 coming to a close, it says, So I, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, adultery, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and the other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Do you know one of the biggest ways you can worship Jesus is allowing the transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Allowing Him to flow through your life and make the choice to be obedient to Him when your flesh response wants to lash out in another way. To actually put Him at the highest authority and say, no, no, I'm going to get in alignment with what the Spirit is saying right now. And that is a moment of worship. You might just feel like, oh, it was just a quick decision. Or you might just feel like, oh, that's just a discipline. You know what that is? It's actually putting God's authority above everything else and saying, Jesus, I worship you. I put you first. If you want to live a lifestyle of worship, then you've got to jump onto that path of transformation and take those steps of obedience to Him. So can I encourage you this morning? When it comes to living a lifestyle of worship as the team come,
Get a clear view of who God is. Spend time with him. Read the word. Get in environments that help you see again. Who's God? He loves me. He's got a plan and a purpose for my life. And remind yourself again how loved by God you are. Get a clear view of God. Your response will be worship. Second thing is give a living sacrifice. Don't be dead on that altar. Understand you're alive for kingdom purpose. You're alive to worship God. It's what you were created to do. And number three, go on that path of transformation. God is guiding you towards. Don't get caught up in the affairs of this world and what's going on. Remember the plan that God has for you and step onto that. Be obedient to the Spirit of God and allow Him to transform your life. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Would you stand with me this morning? Whether you could just put your hands out towards God this morning, just placing your life as a living sacrifice, giving Him the highest authority, Lord, this morning, I pray for this word this morning, Lord God, this reminder out of Romans chapter 12. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to get those windscreen wipers on, to be able to see clearly again, Lord, where we've been marred and blocked and we've allowed the cares of this world to stop us seeing who you really are. God, I pray that this moment today this series would be a reminder Lord God to to clear the path and see again who you are that you're worthy of all of the worship and the praise God you've changed the story of our life what you did on that cross has truly changed everything let us see again and worship in spirit and in truth who you are Lord God draw our hearts to understand it's not just a Sunday thing, it's an everyday thing to elevate you, to worship you, to put you in that highest place. And we choose to exalt you, God. Help us to remove distraction and to be focused again on worshipping you, which is our core calling in life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship Jesus as we finish today.